Our first scripture reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 3 through 12. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, Restorer of streets with dwellings. And our next scripture today is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The word of the Lord. Here at WCF, I know that there are many generous people in this community who have a heart for the marginalized. I'm on. So. And in the few years that I've been here with you, I thought, oh, the list of how we engage in help is not that short. We care about families in need. We support, we've been supporting single parents and uh, families, of foster families through DC 127. We have supported an Afghan refugee family who moved into the neighborhood. We've set up a new home for a family from Latin America. Some small group members have been walking with a single mom uh, in life decisions and including helping with a car purchase. And we love children. Last, the past two summers, we've been hosting a STEM summer camp for those children who are affected by 
post-pandemic learning loss. We want to help where we can. Some of us have been even involved in the personal care of an elderly person when he couldn't take care of himself. And many of you, in fact, have chosen your vocations because of your concern. We have this long tradition of concern for the marginalized, but the needs always seem to outstrip the resources and it seems insurmountable. We live in the wealthiest country in the world with the largest economy in the world and yet many people struggle with poverty here in America. In a recent Atlantic article, sociologist Matthew Desmond suggests that the poor in America are different than the poor in other countries. In America, we have double the child poverty rate compared to Germany and South Korea. Landlords in poor neighborhoods here in America make double what landlords in affluent neighborhoods make. And when it comes to banking and financial institutions, many of us, I imagine, benefit from free accounts because we meet the minimum requirements of investment. But did you know that financial institutions pull in $61 million a day in banking fees for overdraft charges, for late payments, and we all benefit from it. In fact, 9% of bank users pay 84% of all the fees of banks to the tune of $11 billion a year. We should be thankful and scared. When it comes to taxation, we collect a smaller percentage of our GDP over the years. From in the year 2000, our taxes made up 28% of our GDP. In 2019, it's dropped to 24%. Corporate taxes here in America are the lowest amongst all G7 nations. Despite America, like American corporations like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, having the most, uh, more capitalization, market capitalization than most countries in the world. Why all this litany of stats? Why, it's to describe this inequality in America, and we can shake our heads at, at it. But Desmond suggests that we have this poverty because rich people benefit from it. Poverty like this exists in America because it's been designed for it. In America, poverty is directly related to, uh, poverty is, is not a glitch, it's a feature. Poverty is a glitch, not a feature in America. No, it's, a, it's not a glitch, it's a feature. <laughs> poverty is directly related to uh, racial injustice. Poverty rates among, are highest amongst Native Americans and African Americans. And yet an average family in America spends $1,500 a year on food that they just throw away. In fact, 40% of food in America is just tossed out. So what's one thing that you can do, every Jesus follower can do in response to this inequality? You might think, well, there's not much that we can do. I don't have, I'm not rich. I don't have political clout. But there is something we can do. It's called the practice of fasting. Now you might be thinking, wait, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we'll get to it in a few moments. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about fasting, and fasting isn't something that many of us are accustomed to. Or if we have done it, it's mostly for diet purposes or maybe medical purposes, rather than as a spiritual practice. 
And as we've been learning so far in the series, fasting isn't a requirement for Jesus followers. You are not less of a Jesus follower because you don't fast. But scripture gives us examples of how fasting was a regular practice for the Jews, but also for the early church. And that practice of fasting was continued, continued through the church tradition until maybe the 18th century when it dropped out of fashion. But fasting, again, is not a command. You don't have to do it. But it's one of these practices that helps nurture our relationship with the God of love and to connect with God. Again, if you're considering fasting and you have some medical concerns, make sure you check and, uh, with your medical advisors to make sure that it's something that's wise for you to engage with. Now, to recap the series so far, and Jess already reminded us, we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. We fast to grow in holiness. We fast to amplify our prayers. And today we'll look at fasting to stand with the poor. We're going to look at how fasting is this vehicle for the biblical vision for justice. So we're going to start by walking through the, one of the most essential passages that we find on fasting in Isaiah 58. God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, uh, to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, Israel, you were meant to be a kingdom of priests. You were meant to be an example to the world of what uh, people look like when God rules and reigns. But they were at, at that. How? Isaiah 53 says this, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we fasted, and you have not noticed? Fasting doesn't seem to be working here. God's not answering prayer. One another with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. God saying, fasting... You might do, there's more to fasting as a spiritual practice of offering yourself of holiness and to amplifying your prayers. Say, it's not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and bring food with the hungry. From your own flesh and blood. You see the version highlighted on the screen. Isaiah gives us the reasons for this kind of fasting. Fight injustice. Free people from oppression. Share food with the hungry. Provide shelter for the refugees and the immigrants and the unhoused. To clothe the naked. To meet the practical needs of people around you. That's a good response for why we should fast. If you remember last week, we remember how fasting first a response before it's a reason. Fasting responds to a serious or sacred moment before it is a reason for a benefit that we hope to get. See, if we see most of us, if we see the hungry or the homeless, if we see the oppressed and those who are experiencing unjust injustice, how do we respond? Sadness. Anger. Maybe some of us might protest or change, or get active. Some of us might just feel despair. Like, what's the point? Like, this is never going to end. But for 
fasting is meant to be natural a response to any of these emotions that we might feel. Remember, we've been learning that fasting is body talk. Scott, theologian, puts it. Further to say that in response to injustice, fasting is also body poverty. Fasting can be body poverty. Fasting is self-impoverishment as a response to the impoverishment of others. Impoverishment as a response to Fasting, but they were fasting to worship. To get God to respond. Valid reason. Isaiah was reminding them that fasting was also an appropriate response to the injustices of the world. What happens when we practice this kind of fasting? Isaiah continues in verse 8 and 9. Then your light will break forth like dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. Rear guard. Answer, you will cry for help. It will say, here I am. Speak here. Oh, okay. Church Father Augustine uh, once said this in response. He commented on this Isaiah passage saying this. Break your bread for those who are hungry, said Isaiah. Do not believe that fasting suffices. Fasting chastises you, but it does not refresh the other. Do you wish your prayer to reach God? Give it two wings, fasting and almsgiving. Augustine is providing a word picture for us. He's saying prayer is like a bird. If you want the bird to fly to heaven, give it two wings. One side is fasting, the other side is almsgiving. Almsgiving is a word used by Jesus and the early church to describe what we would call acts of service, generosity, and justice, or works of mercy. So in other words, fasting and acts of generosity and service are the wings that take our prayers into action. Now, in the biblical imagination, anything, uh, almsgiving is tied to this fasting as much as prayer is. Last week, we learned how fasting and praying are two things that go naturally together. You can do one without the other, but it's kind of missing the point. Now, to the biblical mind, it's just as illogical to practice fasting without acts of generosity and justice and service. The shepherd of Hermas uh, is a second century uh, writing that was uh, considered to be included in the canonization of scripture. And they were uh, there in that book, it talks about fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays as a regular practice for Jesus' followers. And in that writing, it says this, estimate the cost of the food you would have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his or her soul and pray to the Lord for you. Now, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, another saint, says this, give to the hungry what you deny in your own appetite. Now, what these people are saying, saints who have previously practiced the ways of Jesus, is that 
we can't separate our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And fasting is a way to love God, yes, but also a way to love our neighbors at the same time. So here's three kind of ways that we can live out this fasting for justice. One is to stand in solidarity with the hungry and the poor. Two is to share what we have. And fasting, three, to stand against injustice and evil. Now, fasting to stand in solidarity with the hungry. We can regularly go without food by choice. And that can help put us emotionally in touch with millions of people around the world who are hungry because they have no choice. How many of us can choose to go to Whole Foods because because we looked up our Instagram recipe that has all these custom ingredients from around the world and we can go to Whole Foods, pick up our ingredients and come back home and make that beautiful meal for ourselves. Millions of people around the world cannot do that. And this denial of your stomach does something to our hearts. We begin to feel compassion, the compassion of God for those who don't have that choice. We begin to see the poor, not as a stranger or someone who needs to get their act together, but as a brother or sister who is suffering. The Greek word for compassion is splanknizomai. And it means literally to be moved in the bowel. And isn't that what's happening when we're hungry? Our digestive system is grumbling. It's a word found in many places in the New Testament. Compassion, compassion, compassion. But there's one story that describes this kind of compassion very vividly. It's the story of the prodigal son, where the father, who is described as being moved with compassion, moved with splanknizomai. When, when does he feel that? When he sees the sun returning on the horizon. Because every day he's looking for the sun to come back after the sun has left the family. And when the sun, he sees the sun on the horizon, what is that? father do he lifts his robe exposing his ankles he runs towards the son who has shamed him he embraces him he throws a robe on him he lavishes him with gifts all things that would not make sense in first century families because this father has been dishonored by his son and yet he is moved with compassion his love goes into action splank suggests that when we see a human need we can respond emotionally we can respond with actions or speech, but we can also respond physically with our bodies. You know, as we've been talking about fasting in our small group in these recent weeks, uh, one small group member shared how some family she knew who were practicing fasting would intentionally slow down the influence of materialistic Western culture by choosing to eat a meal of rice and beans once a week. Once a week, choosing to eat what most people in the world would just dream to having once a day. I wonder what that would look like for us to intentionally choose simple meals as an act of spiritual formation. A pastor named David Duncombe said this, Until the burden of debt is lifted from the poor, I am morally constrained to stand with them in their hunger. In 1999, Pastor Duncombe fasted for 45 days as he walked the halls of Congress here in Washington, D.C., talking to Congress people to get H.R. 1095 passed. And one senator saw his commitment 
and his uh, frame decrease, uh, his, the, his body size decreasing. And said to him, you have shown us how anyone can rise above personal interest and lead this country by putting ourselves at risk, but for the good of all. And that senator that said that was that senator then is now President Joe Biden. David Duncombe's fast was instrumental in convincing both sides of the House to pass a $435 million debt forgiveness plan so that countries could feed their poor. Fasting, or even just a restricted diet, can enable us to stand in solidarity with the hungry. But fasting can also enable us to share what we have. We heard that quote earlier from the Shepherd of Hermas. We can take the food and the resources and the time we spend on food and turn that into generosity for the poor. We give up the time we spend on food, shopping, meal planning, meal prepping, eating, cleaning up. And we can take that and spend it in the service of the poor. Dorothy Day is a bohemian intellect, was a uh, bohemian intellectual from New York who started the Catholic worker movement. And she said this, how shall we have the means to help our brother who is in need, or brother or sister? We can do without those unnecessary things which become habits, cigarettes, liquor, coffee, tea, candy, sodas, soft drinks, and those foods at meals which only titillate the palate. We all have these habits, the youngest and the oldest, and we have to die to ourselves in order to live. We have to put off the old man or woman and put on Christ. There's a long-standing tradition in the Catholic Church of fasting on Fridays and serving that day in a food pantry or a soup kitchen or a local nonprofit. That's one way not to, to not just talk about injustice, but actually to do justice. As my activist, my daughter Ashley, who's kind of an activist, she's taught me there's so much slacktivism or performative justice in our world now. In this digital age, much of what people call doing justice is simply just ranting on social media and retweeting other people. But in the biblical theology of justice, talk is cheap. The call is to act in love. In 1 John 3, 16-18, as Rick read for us, says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. When we fast, we find that we free up our resources, our time, our energy, and our money, and we are able to share with those in need. Maybe in, when you fast, instead of spending the 15 or 20 bucks or 10 bucks that you might spend on lunch, you can go and support, use that and support a local food bank or food pantry or our church's mutual aid. You ever stand in line in the grocery store behind someone 
who doesn't have enough to pay and you're like frustrated and mad that they're holding up the line, well, if we fasted, 15, 20 bucks, that's easy. Maybe we can Venmo someone to help them with their medical bills. We fast so that we can share with those in need. And lastly, we fast to stand against injustice and evil. At a social level, people go and do hunger fasts to stand against oppression and empire. Gandhi did it in response to the British Empire. Oscar Romero is a, 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 a Christian intellectual and martyr from El Salvador who did the same. Fasting can be a loving, nonviolent way to protest systemic injustice. Scott McKnight, again quoting him, says this, food joins humans to other humans because we share meals together. Whenever we give up food intentionally, we are refraining from relationships. So when a group protests by fasting, they both negate one relationship, the relationship with the haves, and they affirm another relationship, the relationship with the have-nots. And since the power, structures of power always have sufficient food, fasting is not only refusing relationship, but it is also protesting the power structures that exist. Your fasting can be a protest. Fasting is a way for the powerful, and that's mo most of us, we're powerful in, when it comes to the global world. It's a way for us to voluntarily align with the powerless, just as Jesus did for us. Fasting is a way for the powerful, those who have choice about what we eat, and when we eat, and when we're hungry. It's a, fast, it's a way to al align with those who don't have a choice. To fight evil, we often turn to prayer, as we're reminded of last week, how fasting amplifies our prayers. St. Gregory the Great once said this, it's impossible to engage in spiritual conflict without the previous subjugation of the appetite. In other words, engaging in prayer and spiritual warfare cannot be done without fasting. Like most of the saints, he saw fasting as this prerequisite to any prayer for breakthrough in our lives. And the history of the church shows that fasting has always been paired together with preparing for spiritual war. Now, some churches call it deliverance ministry. The Catholic Church calls it exorcism. It's not a movie about ghosts flying out of the TV or getting sucked into the TV. <laughs> deliverance or exorcism is a spiritual uh, battle conducted in prayer where, the where we recognize the power of the demonic realm that is over us. And through prayer, we pray against that. And often, that's accompanied with fasting. It's pretty much expected. And fasting helps purge, and this process of deliverance helps purge and purify our soul from sin and to grow in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit that we're remembering today on Pentecost, that when the Spirit comes, things change. Fasting is a powerful spiritual practice that puts us in a position to do what the New Testament writers call tearing down strongholds. The Christian life is recognizing that there is also a spiritual realm that we are engaging with. Nothing to be afraid of, but it is a reality. And this kind of fasting will help us engage in that even more effectively. 
And this last type of fasting, fasting to stand with the poor against injustice, doesn't just affect the poor. It also says something about what it means to be the church, the family of God, as Jesus' apprentices, living as God's family. Jesus had this vision for the church, the people of God, to live as a new family, to live as a new community of peace and of justice and of love. As in a family where no member of the family should go without, without food or without shelter, so long as there is resources for everyone in the family, that's how the church should be as well. And we've talked about fasting as body talk and body poverty using Scott McKnight's categories. But fasting is also body hope. You're thinking, oh man, like, this all seems like really down. But when people fa- feast, when we enjoy, enjoy a meal together, we're celebrating relationships. We're celebrating relationships coming together. But when people fast, it can also stay a, a statement about who's not yet at the table. In Luke chapter 5, some Pharisees come to Jesus and saying, hey, your disciples, they're not fasting when everyone else is fasting. They're eating and drinking. Why, what's the deal with that? And Jesus answers them saying, well, of course they're going to feast because the bridegroom is here. But there will come a time when the bridegroom goes away and, they, and then the disciples will fast. John's disciples didn't understand that there were seasons for fasting and seasons for feasting. And all to say that if we read the whole arc of scripture and history, we notice that there are seasons for feasting and seasons for fasting in light of Jesus and his arrival. Before Jesus, fasting, the Israelites were fasting for the Messiah's arrival. And when Jesus arrived, they feasted because the kingdom of God, the Messiah, had arrived. But now Jesus has ascended. And in anticipation of the fullness of God's kingdom fully coming, Jesus' disciples will fast. And when the kingdom finally comes, Jesus, the people of God will feast. So in light of this eternal timeline, fasting is a response to two sacred moments. It's a response to the absence of Jesus fully in our world, and it's a response to the recognition that this world is not as it should be. In fasting, we can stand with the poor. It's one of the best practices that we can do to say how everyone is meant to belong in God's family and that no one should go without when there is enough to go around. Fasting says that although Jesus has come and the kingdom of God has arrived and the people haven't been joined to God's family and people haven't experienced the fullness of Jesus and God's kingdom. So we fast to stand with them that they might be joined to Christ and to God's kingdom. As we fast, may we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus, to grow in Christ-likeness, to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor. Do this with grace and compassion by the power of God's Spirit.